you, praise team. Okay, if you're a young person here and you're ready to go to Sunday school, now is the time for you to be dismissed. So if you'll get up and make your way to the back and your Sunday school teachers will take you. Uh, don't worry, parents. They will come back, Lord willing, if the Lord doesn't return before they come and then we'll, uh, we'll join, they'll join us at the end of the service. I want to remind you that Thursday morning at 9.30, WML, that's Women's Missionary Outreach, will be meeting in the fellowship hall. Special guest, Trista Deaver, will be presenting. So uh, sure want to encourage you. There are a couple that we support as missionaries in prayer and financially. And so they're home, and she's going to be here sharing with the ladies. So hope you'll join the ladies for that. Uh, keep looking at your emails and things so you can keep up to date on what's happening. A lot of things are shifting and changing with uh, trying to get open again. Now we're having our remembrance service. Our first service is back up and running as of today. We started the first time today, so I encourage you to check that out. A lot of other things. I'm not going to get into all that, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue to worship through the study of God's Word. Thanks, Father, for your mercy and your grace and your mercies which are new every morning. Father, I just pray for us as a body of believers because I know that this whole pandemic thing, all of the, the, the turmoil in our culture is just wearing on everyone. And I just pray that we would continue to keep coming to you, to your truths, to your word, to understand what we know is true and to live it out. I pray that you would open our eyes, let us see truths from your word that we can grasp hold of, that we can apply, and I pray you'd speak to each of us as you know we need to be spoken to this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I remember walking down the path to our mobile home. Marla and I were married at the time, so I remember walking down that path after taking my last test in seminary. And I was thinking, this is the last test I'll ever have to take. And I was, this, this, this flood of relief washed over my soul. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really so surreal. It was so great. It was so wonderful. And I, I think this morning, as, as some of you are getting ready to head back to school, you're getting ready to go back to either elementary school or middle school or high school or college or graduate school or trade school, or, you know, maybe it's you got to keep updated on some of your, your training, and you think, oh, yeah, more tests. Well... Reality is, even after your formal education, the tests don't stop. There are all kinds of tests. Every day we face tests. Some of you are going to grow up, you're going to want to learn how to drive. You've got to take a driving test. Every day we have tests. If you graduate and you get a job, you have tests on the job. The job tests your performance. It tests your integrity, your honesty, whether you're going to tell the truth, do a good job, do the work. And maybe by God's grace, you're in a relationship and you have tests as to whether you're going to be truthful and faithful and honest and pure and whether you have marital faithfulness tests. You have tests of integrity, tests of your character, tests when you're disappointed. How are you going to respond? Tests when there's injustice. 
How will we deal with it? Tests when we are disappointed and hurt and tests of the loss of someone near and dear to us. All these things are tests that test our character. But I'd like to tell you this morning that there's no more important, eternally important test that you and I will ever be faced with than the ones that Jesus gives us in the text we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Because in these tests, tests recorded here, they're given to would-be followers of Jesus. Would-be followers of Jesus to determine whether or not they're willing to pay the price to follow Him. Are we willing to pay that price? That's the test. You see, Jesus had amazed them with His eloquent teaching. He had given the shock and awe of all His miraculous healings. And so there was this crowd of people that had gathered on the western edge of the Sea of Galilee. And they were wanting to take something home, some health, some happiness. And he gives them a test. He gives them a test. He gives us a test. And so they're hoping to get something. And his choice to depart to the other side was a test. A test to see if they were followers of Jesus who were fair weather followers of Jesus. If they were ones who were going to be only superficial and selfish. There's something in it for me. I'm down. Or were they going to be sincere and he wanted to tell them, he wants to tell us. That to be a true follower of Jesus means that we're going to have to surrender. That's the price we pay. Surrender is the price we pay. Before the boat left, the tests. And the tests are as relevant today as they were then. Because all through history, people get fuzzy about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to look in Matthew chapter 8 verses 18 through 22 at these tests. Tests, two of them, of discipleship that are given to confront our delusions. To call us into discipleship and decision, and to compel us to be devoted to Him, okay? If you have your device, you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, okay? Matthew 8, 18 through 22. I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to look at these two tests. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd, verse 18, He gave orders to depart to the other side, and a certain scribe came and said to Him, Teacher, I I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another disciple said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury the dead. Two tests. And the first test is the test of difficulty. How will we handle it? He gave orders to depart, verse 18. Orders to depart basically is a call to discipleship. Follow me. I'm leaving. Are you going with me? Not just a means to escape the crowd, okay? The call to discipleship has two parts to it. The difficulty, the test of difficulty, two parts. First is a a promise of devotion, verse 19. And a certain scribe, said, 
I'll follow you wherever you go. A scribe. This was quite a statement because the scribes were the well-educated, highly educated experts in the law which they taught. And they were friends of the Pharisees. And to associate with someone outside of their circle was kind of beyond the realm of what they would want to do. And then, no less, most of the time they were antagonistic towards Jesus. They were hostile towards Jesus. But this guy was different. And he called Jesus teacher. That was an admission that he was superior to him. Or had something to teach him. Statement of humility. You see, I believe that the scribe couldn't escape the eloquence of Jesus' teaching and the authority of it. He couldn't escape the wonderful miracles that Jesus has done, and it gripped him, and he said, I want to go after this guy. I'm, I'm interested in this person. And he, then he, in his zeal, he proclaimed, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's a bold claim. It's a claim of devotion. It's a claim of commitment. It's a claim of dedication. It would be something like a Catholic cardinal, a cardinal in the Catholic church saying, okay, I, I'm willing to go back to a Protestant seminary. That would be a shocking revelation. Now, the question that comes to mind was, that, was the scribe's statement a deeply held conviction or just a response to an emotional experience that he was having there with Jesus? See, many of these people probably had been up with Jesus on the mountain after he had come down. They, they'd probably followed him into Capernaum and around and around the Sea of Galilee. They were kind of the groupies, Jesus groupies, you know, so they were coming along with Jesus wherever he went. And he wanted, so was it, what was it? I would say it's easy to get captivated, and it would have been then by Jesus' words. It's easy to get captivated, caught up in the moment because of what we've seen or heard. It's easy to listen to an impassioned commencement address. Uh, maybe not. I haven't heard too many of those. Uh, but uh, some are very passionate. It's easy to get excited about a convicting message. A few weeks ago when Micah Tuttle was here, he was preaching on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let's cling to Jesus. An idea that there is a purpose for living that it transcends ourselves. Wow! Or perhaps to be enamored by a false gospel that promises health and material prosperity. Whatever you want, you can get it in the name of Jesus. And so we say, wow, I'm down for that. Count me in. Sounds good to me. Let's, where do I sign up? But what does it mean? To, I will follow you wherever you go. We get caught up in the emotion of the moment and we are charmed by the, uh, by the speaker and we respond emotionally but not with conviction in our heart. I think that's where the scribe is at or at least Jesus testing that for the scribe. I don't know about you, I mean, I've sat through a pretty convincing marketing presentation. We were younger, we sat through an Amway presentation. You know, it's a, it's a 
pyramid scheme, basically. You know, you know I, get, I do a little work and I get you to work for me and then you work, get somebody else to work for you and they're working for you and they're working for me. And it sounds really good on paper. I've been through some very convincing timeshare presentations, you know. And in the heat of the moment, you think, yeah, this is good. I think we should do this. Well, really. You see, is enthusiasm the same thing as genuine faith? That's what Jesus is testing that man, the scribe, and he's testing us and testing everyone who hears. It's easy to let our emotions override our logic and commit to something that we really are not convicted of or convinced of. That's the promise. Now the price. He said, I'm going to go. I'll follow you. Now the price of discipleship in verse 20 kind of checks the promise. Notice what he said in verse 20. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to place his head. Now that's, Jesus had a home base, Capernaum, but he's talking about his itinerant ministry. As he's out roaming around, this was not your, you know, five-star embassy suites accommodations time every night. This was not a political campaign, you know, where, where they're staying in, you know, big-time money hotels and stuff on our dime. No, this was... Jesus walking around, he says, you really want that? I'll go wherever you go. When he had no clue where Jesus was going. I heard someone once who had signed up for the National Guard. They had wanted to, they signed up for the National Guard. And then then they got deployed overseas. And they were mad. They were upset. They said, all I'd signed up for was to get my college paid for. Really? Oh, so you have no clue why you signed up for the National Guard. You, you, you better know what you're in it for. That's what Jesus is saying to this man. He says to us, sounded great. You find out what's in it. You see, this itinerant ministry that Jesus had is a call to follow him, and it's costly. And he says, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a, a designation of Jesus as the Messiah. It's taken from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, where he promised to be the Messiah. So here you have the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He's walking around, doesn't even know where he's going to sleep that night. Follow me. Oh, you're, gonna, you're in? See, following Jesus was not then, it is not now. Just a, a comfy, cozy, cushy thing. It's costly to follow Christ. Involves difficulty. Oh, you can get enamored with Jesus' words, fantasize about what it would be like to have Jesus on our team, you know, and Jesus, you take the wheel, and you're, you're in control, and you're doing everything for me, and it's all wonderful and nice. Now, I'm not saying that it, it isn't great, but it's not always cushy. You see, this man is standing saying, I'll follow you. Does he know that Jesus is going to Gethsemane? Does he realize that Jesus is going to Calvary? And after Calvary, there's a tomb. You see, following Jesus involves sacrifice. It involves suffering. It involves dying. 
dying to ourselves in a couple of different ways. First of all, to follow Jesus means that we die. There's a death to our selfish control. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. And Jesus said here, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. A death to our selfish control of our lives. In other words, it is, are we willing to surrender to Jesus completely? Admit that we are sinners. Admit that the rebellion in the world, there is, there is brokenness in the world, as we were reminded last Sunday night. And that brokenness is in part my fault, because I'm a rebel. <laughs> and my rebellion, my tendency to sin against God, which... Uh, Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53, 6. Each one has turned to his own way. What does that mean? Well, we're sinful people. We covet what other, we, we want what other people have. We deceive so that we can receive something that we don't really earn. I, we want to take, and sometimes we do take what belongs to someone else. We are envious, we are jealous, we are bitter, we are unforgiving we are greedy we're proud and the bible says because of that we deserve punishment the wage of sin is death you know see, see signs up all over now hiring now hiring now hi what, what for they're going to pay you a wage a wage is what you get for what you do what we get for our sin is death but god in his mercy sent jesus God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died in our place. God's justice demands payment. Sin must be punished. Just like someone who gets a ticket. If I had a father who was a judge and I got a ticket for speeding and I went before the judge and the judge said, guilty. And then my father would get down and write, bring his checkbook and write the check. He would pay my debt. I would not have to pay, but the debt was paid. When Jesus died on the cross, the debt for our sin was paid. But each of us must individually and personally accept that gift. That debt was paid on our behalf. We must confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God is raising. We've got to wave the white flag of surrender and stop trying to run my own life and the selfish control of my life and surrender it to Jesus. That's the first step in following him. Follow him. Second step, it's not just about repenting and believing. That's the initial coming to Christ and being converted. But then there's this death to selfish conduct. We are declared righteous by faith, but then we, are, we demonstrate we're righteous by faith. We are saved by faith, and we live by faith. Abandon our selfish conduct. I wonder this morning, if it isn't true for us what was true for this man, are we, are we really committed to Jesus as Lord? I wonder if sometimes people are more in love with the concept of following Jesus than in love with Jesus himself. It sounds kind of fun, you know, it's okay, especially in a Western world to follow Jesus. Not so much if you live in North Korea. Not so much if you live in India. Not so much if we live in Indonesia. 
to follow Jesus? Are we in love with Christ? In the parable of the sower, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, you can look at it on the screen here. Others fell, uh, sowing of the seed, and some of the seed fell in the rocky places where they did not have much salt. Soil, I'm sorry. And immediately they sprang up because they had uh, no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they were withered away. And then Jesus interprets it, interprets it in verses 21 and 20 and 21. He says that the one who, on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately falls away. Okay, that's the question. Will you follow me? It's going to be hard. I have no place, Jesus says, to, to lay my head in my itinerant ministry. The plant withers. Is it true the true followers of Jesus will stick to it? Those who are false followers, those who didn't, the word of God really didn't penetrate their hearts. They didn't become abandoning their selfish control of life and they didn't come commit to abandon the selfish conduct in their lives. No, those people are not following Jesus when the going gets tough, when it's difficult. I like what Lenski says in his commentary on this text, he says, these people, they see the soldiers on parade, the fine uniforms and the glittering arms, and this person is eager to join, forgetting the exhausting marches, the bloody battles, the graves perhaps unmarked. You see, if we turn from sin and follow Christ and take up our cross and follow him, then we're a follower. It's not just, oh, I'm going to believe in Jesus. No, it's I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm going to behave like Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus through thick and thin. Wherever he goes. I'm at Creekside Church because after 21 years of serving in another church, we heard God say, follow me. Follow me. Is God asking you to follow him? Yeah, initially in salvation, but after that to continue to follow him in whatever we do. Where is he asking you to follow him? Is he asking you to follow him in sharing Christ with your neighbors? Is he asking you to somehow show the love of Christ to people who are different than you? Different cultures. Is he asking us to follow him in serving that elevates others above ourselves, but to do so, to follow him, will cost us. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, sign me up. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I wonder what Jonathan Isaac is experiencing right now is the only NBA player to date who has not taken a knee uh, during the playing of the national anthem because of his faith. You see, to become a child of God, to daily follow Jesus will likely mean no recognition. You can read it in Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, I came to be served, not to, not to, I came to serve, not to be served. No recognition. It will likely mean meager accommodation from time to time. Not living high on the hog necessarily. Not always. 
It will definitely mean frequent disruption by God's call and claim on our life for our time. If you're a follower of Jesus, it will be an inconvenient experience because the Spirit of God will say, I think you should do this when you want to do something else. I didn't want to get up and come and play and practice at 8 o'clock in the morning for the worship service. I didn't want to come several times in a row to get the thing working online so we could offer worship services to people online during a pandemic. I did not want to come to an inconvenient explanation about how to share Jesus with my neighbors because I don't want to be inconvenienced by having to talk to my neighbors about Jesus. It will mean a hostile recognition by people who don't appreciate your faith. And they might even take Bibles and burn them in downtown Portland. You see, it might mean that God wants me to go to Haiti. It might mean that God wants me to help out mentoring with some people who are trying to learn English as their first language, and it's not their first language. It might mean I help out with ESL. It might mean that I help serve in some other capacity. It might mean that you're a young guy and you decide that maybe God wants you to speak on Wednesday nights about Jonah when you've never done anything like that before in front of people and on the internet even, internationally known now because they spoke on Wednesday nights at Creekside Church. But following Jesus is costly, but it is also the grandest, glorious most wonderful thing in all of life to follow him he walks through us with everything giving us the peace the comfort the grace the wisdom to face it so i challenge you this morning if you haven't taken up your cross and followed jesus will you follow jesus he says will you follow you like the scribe i'll follow you wherever you go jesus said let's go i'll go will you It'd be the most glorious thing for you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and believe in Him and then walk with Him through it. There's another test, not only the difficulty test, the priority test. We're given a priority test. And three aspects to this test. First of all, the call to discipleship. And another disciple said to him, now the first disciple was, Jesus said, you know, he said, I'll follow you wherever you go, right? Now, this one, Jesus said, follow me. And we know that from Luke chapter 9, okay? Jesus actually came to this guy. Individually, not just a blanket call. This guy was particularly singled out. He said, follow me. I remember, uh, it's been several years ago, but I was leading a mission team, and uh, we landed in Chicago. And we were supposed to kick connect in Chicago on a flight. Now, if you've ever thrown th- flown through O'Hare, you know it's a nightmare. And we were late. And, it was a, and this was an international flight. We're supposed to catch a flight from Chicago, probably to Frankfurt in Germany. And it's like, whoa, if we miss this flight, we're, we're in big trouble, right? So there were like 11 or 12 or 13 of us. And we got off of the plane in Chicago. And somebody, a representative from the airline, met us at, as we walked off of the plane. And said, follow me. Didn't ask any questions. 
just, okay, we followed. And that person led us through an expedited route to the security checkpoint. Hadn't been for them, we probably wouldn't have made our flight. No questions asked. Not this guy. <laughs> oh, hey, Jesus, by the way, time out. Uh, got something I need to take care of. Got to bury my dad. Okay? Got to bury my dad. Now, at first, at first glance, that seems reasonable, right? <laughs> Jesus is going to say, you, you can't bury your dad. Until we understand a little bit of the context. You see, in this context... We, the, he had this condition. This condition was permit me first. So we had the call and then the condition, permit me first. What we don't see in the text is the cultural thing, which is this. Number one, for they, they almost always buried the person on the same day. So this guy wasn't dead yet. Okay, so he's not, he's not dead. And then when he says, let me bury my father... Culturally, that meant not just to bury him, but to wait around until he is buried, until the estate is settled and I get my inheritance. So it wasn't just that he wanted to do this benevolent thing. Oh, there was a social responsibility to his family, but there was also this desire for personal property. You know? And uh, some commentators would say that even that, that this this whole process took a year, that there would even be an additional burial after a year in which the eldest son had to come and make sure that there were some specific things done. So long and short of the story is, uh, this guy was not so much like, his heart was not like the heart of the rocky soil, it was more like the thorny soil in Matthew 13. Now, you remember the story, maybe, and maybe you don't, but the thorny soil was that immediately the word is received, but then it grows up and it's choked out by what? The concerns of the world and for riches and the worries about riches. Maybe you've heard people say this. I've heard people say this. You know, I would be a follower of Jesus, but I'm just not ready to commit my life to Christ. You know, I want to get married first. Um, I want to get a job, I, I, I want to go to school, I like to travel the world, I'd like to, you know, sow my wild oats, so to speak, or I'd like to go have a lot of fun, then on my deathbed, I'll accept Jesus. Like we have a decision about when that's going to be. I got some things to do, Jesus, so just hang in there, you know. Perhaps you're here this morning. Perhaps you're listening. And there may be something that you want to do first. You got a priority that you want to put in front of following Jesus. Maybe you, you just want to be the most popular person first. You know, I just like to climb the ladder, a social ladder of acceptability. Maybe you've got some sin in your life that you just kind of like want to hang on to. You know, a little pornography, a little drug addiction, a little, you know, uh, stealing or something that I, I'm just not ready to give that part of my life to Jesus yet a little partying maybe you got some vengeance or revenge you want to get on to get even with somebody then I'll confess and turn and repent and trust Jesus even believers you know we can we can get these priorities mixed up we can start thinking that there's something more important than following Jesus whenever we say I'll do what Jesus wants me to do, except. And then fill in the blank with something. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. There's a cost to discipleship in verse 22. 
Jesus said to him, follow me. That's a call for immediate, ultimate, no-holds-barred devotion to Christ. Unswerving in our commitment to follow him. Nothing else is going to get. I said it before, it's to believe in Christ, then behave like Christ. And let the dead bury their dead. Now that sounds pretty harsh. Let the dead bury their dead. Well, what he's saying is let those who are spiritually dead, those who are spiritually lost, take care. Let their priority be on the things of this world while you attend to the things of my kingdom. Now, you have to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 60 to get this because he's basically saying there's something more important for you as a child of God. If you're going to be a child of God and a follower of God, there's something more important for you than there is in taking care of the responsibilities. He's not saying don't care about your family, not saying don't care about you know, taking care of what's going on in this world. He's saying don't let it become more important than what you're doing for me. In Luke chapter 9, verse 60, he says, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. It's a parallel passage. Go everywhere and proclaim the kingdom of God. The call to surrender is a call to serve Him. It's to put the rule of Christ and declare it to, to the world. You see, I look around and I see what's going on in our country. And I see what's going on in the world. And too few people understand that we are actually sinful at our core. They don't see and understand that we're living in rebellion against God. They don't see that this rebellion deserves God's punishment of sin. They don't understand that God in His mercy provided a way for us to be forgiven and have purpose and meaning in life. Uh, way more meaningful than running around burning things. They didn't see that God sent His Son to die on the cross so that we could have life. And that's the message that we want to give to people. We're supposed to declare the kingdom. That's what Jesus' first things out of his mouth was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, the rule of God is at hand. That's what we're supposed to give people. Is there anything that you're asking God to, you know, hey, let me do this first. This is more important, Jesus. He says, follow me. Follow me. I wonder. I wonder what the folks at Grace Community Church And I'm not sure exactly the town, but uh, in Southern California, feel about following Jesus this morning. Because they're gathering to worship Jesus in church in conflict with the governor's orders not to gather. Because they're saying, we took our cross to follow Jesus, and their understanding of it at this point in time and this point in history is, we're following Jesus and the government can't tell us if we can worship, when we can worship, how many of us can worship, where we can worship, how we can do worship. We're going to worship. Now, you don't have to agree with their, their, their thing, but what they're saying is we're willing to follow Jesus. No greater priority. I just got an email from, from somebody the other day. They were talking with a, a recent convert, somebody who had just come to faith in Christ, somebody who said, okay, I'm willing to give up and, and abandon my selfish control of my life. Now the test is, are they willing to give up selfish conduct because they're, they're going back to their homeland and to their family 
where they will, their, their faith is absolutely abhorrent. Their newfound faith in Christ is abhorrent to the people that are in their own family. They stand the risk of being ostracized, maybe even alienated, perhaps even killed. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. If you've been listening to this message, you say, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus. Good. Because Jesus says, don't play games. It's either all in or none. There is no middle ground with Jesus. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. When I was a sophomore at University of Northern Iowa, I enrolled in an intermediate swimming course because I'm not a beginner. And uh, after the first couple days of swimming class, the instructor called me aside, one other student, and said, you know, I really think it'd be better if you went back to this beginning swimmer's class. You know, I said at the beginning that this test that Jesus gives us was to confront our delusion. So my delusion that I was somehow a good swimmer had been boldly and directly confronted. Okay. You're living in a deluded world, Steve. It called me for a decision. I could either stay in the class or leave the class. And it compelled me to be devoted to one or the other. Jesus gives us two tests. And he confronts our delusion. The delusion that says, oh, if I just say the right words... Or if I simply pretend like I'm all in, I'm good. No. Jesus confronts this idea of false sincerity and a misplaced priority that somehow you can, you can do that and still be a disciple. No. You need to go to beginner swimming. Okay. And he calls us for decision. I, I, I'm really convicted by what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them come and die. It's like, oh no, this is quite a contrary gospel to the gospel of, oh, just follow Jesus and you'll be healthy, wealthy, wise. Life will be a piece of cake. You'll never have any problems. You have any problems just because you don't have enough faith. So just have more faith and you're good. That's not the gospel Jesus preaches. Jesus says, I want you to come and die. Because that's what I did. That's what I'm calling you to do, to die to yourself and to live for me in service of others for God's glory. Will you follow Jesus? Are you following? Am I following Jesus? Consider, if you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Christ, consider your own emptiness. Consider your own brokenness. Consider the fact that so much of life is spent trying to satisfy a, a, a hole in your soul with, well, I don't know, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's uh, getting more money, maybe it's prosperity, maybe it's, you fill in the blank, education, travel, you're chasing, but you never find what really satisfies, and, and I've said this before and someone else, destination sickness, whenever I get, I got this and I'm not satisfied, so I go over here and I get this and I'm not satisfied, how many places in the world do you need to travel until you've seen everything? Well, there's always, you know, there might be Antarctica, you know, 
There might be a polar bear I haven't seen, or, you know, I'm just, uh, uh, there's something that I haven't, no, the only place that satisfies, and, you know, the, the quote, our soul is restless until we find our rest in Christ. That's it. It compels devotion. I want to follow Jesus. So do you want to follow Jesus? Then turn from your sin and trust in Christ and seek to follow him in everything you do, all in or not in. Jesus said, I didn't say it. It's not easy, but here's the, here's the deal. As, as, as we do that, he walks with us. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, then just take some time to, to remember the price Jesus paid for us. We sang this morning in the first service, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Reminded of the cost that it was to read, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having put, been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, 1 Peter 3.18. I don't deserve it, but I can live with purpose and meaning and live eternally with God in heaven because of what Jesus has done. That's the invitation. Jesus, will you follow me? It's going to cost you. But you know what? The benefit is way more than the cost. And then we would repent of any commitment we have that's playing games with God. Huh, you know, I'm just kind of half in. No! Just repent of our commitment to, you know, to not embrace difficulty. To not involve ourselves in kingdom mentality. You know, this problem in America is you're just too comfortable. I get comfortable. I don't like it. I mean, and the older you get, the worse it gets. Don't, don't, don't mess with my routine. I mean, one of my neighbors came over, and can you believe it? They wanted to talk. I mean, I had a project I'm working on for Pete's sake. The nerve. Because I'm, I'm, I'm made for God's purpose of projects. Not been called to carry the gospel of the kingdom everywhere so we talked we talked about Jesus talked about their life and our all of our shelf lives <laughs> we all have a shelf life you know there's a little expiration date you know God has it written down in heaven somewhere for our expiration because that's what God has us here for and I don't always get it. <laughs> I blew it, you know, I blew it all the time. And renew our commitment to live holy for God, for the love of Christ controls us, having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf, and as we, as we, as we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded of his death and sacrifice that made it possible for us to live and gives us motivation that we should live for him. Yes. Yes. And amen. Let's pray. Father, Jesus gave us these tests. Life would be difficult 
if we choose to follow him. We'd have to prioritize things. We'd have to prioritize Jesus above our own property, above our own prosperity, above even people and other things. I just pray you'd help those who have never fully surrendered to Jesus to wave the white flag of surrender, understanding that the benefit of life in Christ and your presence with us and the promise of eternal life and the purpose we have now far outweighs any cost. You paid it all so that we could live for you and you'll empower us to do just that. I pray that they would surrender right now and say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And those of us who know you, Father, I pray you just help us to be reminded of the price you paid. Help us to be repentant of our playing games with you and reprioritize and help us to renew our commitment to live solely for you, we pray in Jesus' name.